you're a business asset. You've got management, you've got teams of people. You know, there's a liability there, even possibly for, for you, you know, doing something that will damage your career. So everything is against people speaking out. But I, something happened in 2020, at the end of 2020, when I first started speaking publicly about it. Um, a switch was was hit in my brain that, that look, this is far too big to um, just pretend it's not happening. It's quite clear to me that since 2020, that the switch has been, you know, flicked. We've been nudged nudged along for some time um, over the last at least couple of decades, maybe longer. But you can feel the intensity of, of what's going on. I've had messages of support off, off many DJs, just saying, I, I, you know, I said something once, but but uh, I got real backlash. I've had others say, "Oh, I'll step in when it, when I'm needed to," you know, when things get bad. And I'm, I, <laughs> I've, I've heard that from quite a few people, and I think, well, it will be too late. You, you can guarantee now, by the time you feel comfortable to step in, where where you're that desperate that you feel, yeah, we have to do something, it's going to be too late. Welcome to the Staying Free Podcast. If you're new to the show, then welcome. Good to have you as a listener. And if you're an existing subscriber, then welcome back. In this episode, I had a conversation with Stuart Langelard. Stuart is also known as DJ Lange. And as well as being a famous musician, he's also become somewhat of a hero in the freedom movement. So I talked to Stuart about everything from his career and how it's been affected by both COVID-19 and the restrictions that were put in place, as well as his own advocacy and the nature of being an outspoken advocate for freedom. I have huge respect for people like Stuart who have a lot on the line and still choose to speak out. And I think this is something that a lot of us have felt, which is that with everything going on in the world right now, there's no option to stay silent. And we all have to do our part to try and speak truth and advocate for the world that we want to bring about. I really hope you enjoy the episode. If you do, please give it a share on social media. If you're enjoying the podcast so far, please give it a five-star review in whichever podcast app you're using. Any donations to the podcast are hugely appreciated. This can be done in two ways. The first is by using the tip option in Twitter, where you can give a Bitcoin tip. And the other option is to follow the link in the bio, which will take you to buy me a coffee, where you can give a tip there as well. Huge thanks to Jane Carpenter, who was the first to give me a donation over on buy me a coffee. So massive thank you, Jane, for that. As promised for this episode, special thanks go out to Ryan Raleigh and Beverly Shaw for sharing my tweet and tagging a friend who you think would like the podcast. And also thank you to Spirit of Down Under Flutes for sharing the tweet. Didn't actually tag anyone, but maybe next time you can find someone who you think is going to enjoy the podcast and give them a tag as well. There's only one way to get the word out about alternative media like this podcast, especially when we're being throttled by platforms like Twitter, and that is to directly share it with your friends and family. So if anyone wants to do that, then I'll give you a shout out in future episodes. As mentioned in the last episode, the podcast is now on YouTube. At the moment, it's in catch up mode. So I'm starting from the beginning with older episodes, but it is taking me a while to get the episodes on there because I have got to censor every single episode to make sure that we don't mention the vaccine. So YouTube is on the way, but I don't recommend that people use YouTube to listen to this podcast since it will always have to be censored. The only reason I'm using YouTube is to get more of an audience and also it's good for comments and community engagement. But if you want to see the video version of the podcast and interact with comments, then I recommend checking the description and following the link to censorship-free platforms. All right, that's enough of the intro. Let's get into the episode. So Stuart, welcome to the podcast. Um, really good to, to have you on here. I know that a lot of people uh, follow your tweets and follow kind of what you're talking about on social media and kind of really resonate with what you're saying. And you're a very kind of popular commentator. So 
um, I think it'll be really great for my audience to kind of hear your more nuanced opinions. So welcome. Many thanks, Johnny, for, for the invite. Appreciate it. Yeah, so I guess before we kind of uh, really get into it, do you want to just give a little bit of the background as to your journey as a, a musician and kind of getting to where you are today? Yeah, sure. Um, I've been in the trance music industry uh, or electronic dance industry for uh, around 25 years now. Um, I think I was lucky lucky to be making the right music at the right time, really, around the at the end of the 90s. And... Um, and then I became a, a, a DJ as well, um, about five years later. So, so that's been my life for the last uh, 20, 25 years. Has been largely traveling the world, doing gigs, and uh, writing music. Okay, great. So, obviously, now you've become very popular as a kind of um, yeah. I, I don't really like using the word, word activist necessarily, but someone who's very outspoken on the side of freedom with everything that's been going on lately. Um, is that something that has always been um, kind of a part of your identity or was this something that kind of kicked off post-COVID? Because I certainly wasn't aware of any of your um, kind of more political side before that. So I'm just interested to know where that's come in. Um, it's definitely been amplified with with um, the, the, the COVID scenario. Uh, I mean, people like, for example, Julian Assange, I've, I've always tried to sort of mention, but the golden rule generally is you don't you don't get political, um, you know, because your fan base don't want to know about that most of the time. And, and as far as pol party politics go, although I was getting a bit, uh, I was doing some commentary on it um, at the last election. I, I try and avoid all that. You know, it's it's not worth talking about. But I, something happened in 2020 or the end of 2020 when I first started speaking publicly about it. Um, a switch was was hit in my brain that, that look, this is far too big to um, just pretend it's not happening. And and it would have been impossible for me not to say anything, to be honest. Yeah, yeah, that's definitely something that I think a lot of people have felt like. I, I feel like so many people have kind of snapped into gear with everything that's going on um, in the sense that, you know, you kind of feel like to some degree you're looking down the barrel of a gun and it's like, okay, now is not the time to kind of shy away from this issue and, and not talk about it. Like, I think a lot of people have been jolted into action by everything. Absolutely. But uh, the, the, the power of not wanting to stand out and go against the grain is, is, has worked wonderfully as usual, um, particularly in the trance music scene. I mean, you know, I've spoken to plenty of DJs on, you know, in, in, in private about this and, and many are on the same page with what's going on um some aren't but um but the, the amount of people have spoken out actually certainly in, in in my my scene in the trance music scene is uh it's pretty much been zero apart from myself yeah so i, I do want to get into that actually is in terms of kind of how it's affected um your career and the nature of kind of what's going on um you know a kind of in insider's take into the music industry and how people are feeling about this. But before we get onto that, um, I just want to go into a bit of your kind of, I guess, red pill origin story, as it were, you know, the moment where you started to really realize that, that things weren't right and that we were going in a, in a very dangerous direction. And when you kind of had your moment of um, realizing that you need to start speaking out about these issues. Well, for me, I, I went ahead with the, you know, the, the original lockdown. I, I 
stayed at home, etc. To be honest, it was nice weather. <clears throat> it was it was great to have some time off, a, a forced break, in that sense. But I was very aware that there would be people that weren't in a, in the the fortunate circumstance I was in, having a back garden, you know, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. So, um, my. I, but I was already suspicious right from the off. Um, I mean, I wasn't scared of the, the virus at all in, right from the beginning. I, I saw the videos from China and I just, I just didn't believe it. And, um, you know, of people falling down in the streets, et cetera. And uh, in fact, I think I went to a concert on the Saturday, uh, John Hopkins concert, um, just before, literally before the lockdown came in. And, you know, I went there. I wasn't concerned about, about my safety. Um, but it's when we kept, when it kept going and it was almost becoming predictable as well as, as to, oh, now they're not going to allow us, you know, Christmas. And sure enough, they didn't allow us Christmas. There was obviously people like, uh, Michael Yeadon, who I think we've all got a lot, to th- a lot, uh, to thank him for, um, spoke out, talked about how the science wasn't adding up. That then triggered me to look more into that side of things. I mean, I'm no expert, obviously, just a musician, DJ, but, you know, there's a lot of logic as well with with what he was saying. Um, and and then that made me think about the statistics of, of um, you know, who's dying from this. Um, I don't watch mainstream media. I haven't done for some time. I actually got rid of my... Uh, TV license probably about six seven years ago because I knew I was paying for for propaganda basically from the BBC. Um, so, but but I did see on Twitter there was a lot of people that were being put on TV that were young in hospital, and I don't know it just felt a little bit. We're, we're only seeing what they want us to see. So I looked at the stats, saw that the chance um, of of having an issue with this was very low. Um, and there was just so many lies after lie after lie. The change in stance from from uh, the the official government government advisors, you know, Chris Whitty, one minute was saying it was mild, the next minute, you know, we're we're now, you know, panicking as a nation um, over this. And and the masks as well. The fact that people had said prior, no mask use, and then and then all of a sudden we're like putting masks on in, in the thirty degree heat in the summer. It none of it made sense. None of it made sense. And then when the vaccine came. I thought, well, they've lied so much. I just don't believe them. I don't believe I need this. There's no chance I'm trusting with them. This is already looking like a societal change move, uh, a psychological attack, if you like, on the on the masses. Uh, so, so yeah. So I didn't take the vaccine. Yeah, yeah. I think that's um, that that story that you've just kind of um, essentially given there is so similar to I think how so many of us came to it. I mean, I, I was the same, like right at the beginning when the first uh, lockdown kicked in, I actually didn't really have much of an opinion either way. I actually, before that point, I'd been super terrified of, of, of COVID. Not, I guess not terrified necessarily just for myself, but I thought this was going to be a really, really big world event, like before even the media was was massively into it. And then um, as it kind of approached close at the time, I started thinking, okay, maybe it's not so bad. Maybe it's not so bad. And just when I was at the point of thinking, okay, we probably don't have to worry about this. Then all of a sudden the media switched it on and said, okay, now we've got to go into lockdowns and all the rest of it. Um, but yeah, like when we, during that time, obviously I think all of us had a little bit of time to, to think and to kind of reflect and um, started looking at statistics. And, you know, really, I think it, like you said, um, Michael Yeadon was, you know, a huge, um, a huge kind of, 
advocate for for reason when it came to this stuff and um i think in the beginning even even he you know wasn't necessarily saying okay well there's some you know terrible things going on and there's a there's a plan and it's a whole great reset and everything obviously he is now um kind of in that camp um since since that point but back then i think a lot of us were just looking at the data and we were saying okay maybe we've kind of exaggerated and then it just kept kept getting more and more crazy i think for me the point where I really was like, okay, this is just not about science. This is not about health is um, when masks were introduced like weeks after the lockdown, like we'd, we'd already opened up and all of a sudden it was now we've got to wear masks. And I think that point for me, it became so obvious that this was a psyop, you know, they needed something to keep everyone afraid because their, your kind of experience of the world was so different to what the media was presenting. Eventually, you have to reconcile the fact that you're not seeing people die on the street. You're not seeing, you know, most people didn't know anyone who had even at that point got COVID, let alone been been hospitalized or died. Like it, it was, you know, your visceral experience was so different. Um, yeah. So yeah, I mean, um, I, I think you know that 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 story story there is is just so common. I think a lot of people who might otherwise have never been a kind of conspiracy theorists or, or any kind of a skeptic it's really hard when you know all of these facts are, are just coming at you day by day to to not you have to you know you have to really turn a blind eye if you are in any way a critical thinker absolutely absolutely i totally agree um i mean you know i was skeptical i, I was aware that politics is largely a, a, a theater um and uh i mean from from uk politics i <laughs> People say, you know, we, we have a chance to vote. But when you think about it, and I've said this before on Twitter, um, we've really had, if you, if you accept that Blair was working for the corporates as well, we've had nothing but a, a Tory style working for the corporates government since the 70s. Um, so I've always been sceptical. I, I mean, seeing a lot of the uh, the work that was done to demonize Corbyn, for example. Now, I know I'm aware that he's a character that some people, you know, he's, he's a Marmite character for, for many, but for me, I, at least I, th- I think he was, he was sincere and uh, I, 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 was, I, was, I supported him. And, and, and the strange thing is a lot of what he was actually advocating is largely where we, 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 I think we're actually heading with this idea of universal basic income, the idea of of, of you know doing things from from a more sort of caring caring you know state um because we are going to face a lot of issues with ai robots and unemployment you know we're going we, we're we're in for a big shake up but the difference is that at least with corbyn you felt that it was a, a genuine from the from the working workers side uh, of an argument whereas you know we all know that um, we're, we're, we're the lowest priority at, at, when, when it comes to, to what you know the Tories and and most governments. Um, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the whole Jeremy Corbyn thing is a weird one because everything that um, he was kind of advocating. Because I, I agree with you. He the the establishment hated him. You know, they still hate him to this to this day. You know, they no, they did not want Corbyn to be, um, you know, shadow PM or whatever it is, um, let alone PM, right? So I, I think that 
it what it demonstrates because actually what we see now is that all of what corbyn wanted is very much um at the front and center of the agenda you know um zero zero carbon and ubi and all this kind of stuff this was what jeremy corbyn was about you know he was like extremely far left and now all of these things are kind of back on the back on the table all you've got is different people who are kind of administrating it so it seemed to me like he was he was the right man with the wrong ideas in my view um you know i like there was a point where i actually liked um like jeremy corbyn but you know i used to be i used to be a lefty i used to be like quite far left actually um <laughs> compared to where i am now um but but you're right like he he always had and still has an authenticity about him and a realness and you can just tell that someone like that um they're not really made for politics. Um, however, their ide- however, his ideas, um, you know, a lot of them are very, very much in line with, you know, what the WEF and all these kind of organ- organizations actually want now. So, um, yeah, he, he probably wasn't too far off the mark in that sense. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I, I, I consider myself quite far left, um, in, literally until 2020. Um, and the way I've seen the, the, the left go along with all this, it's like no one's asking questions. Um so, but but for me, yeah, I, I agree. Certainly now, in, in, in hindsight, I'd be much, much against what a lot of um, Corbyn was advocating because in an ideal world, a lot of the solutions may are fair, but we don't live in an ideal world and power always ends up grabbing the reins at the top. And, and, it, it's, and you know, that kind of centralisation is just destined to be misused. And and that's what we face now is is everything moving to centralization, as as you know. Um but not not just not just your sort of standard things in life, but it is literally you can see there's a move now for for every aspect of our lives to be centrally controlled. Uh I mean we we're seeing a move on on you know food and farmers. Um it's quite interesting how that's been developing over the last few weeks. Um the idea I can only assume is to to, to sort of crush the small business, the small farmers, um, and and you know we will have a food shortage potentially at some point, and then the solution is well you get our food, you know we give you we deliver the food to you, we deliver the energy to you, we deliver through UBI the the money, um, and everything is very much digitally monitored, so you end up with a situation where. If you don't obey your government, you don't eat. Simple as that. You don't have access to money, and that's that's incredibly dangerous. Uh, but but the question I th- always think is, what's the alternative? Bearing in mind we're moving into this uh, AI robotics, you know, a, a huge unemployment is going to come at some point. How do we deal with with that issue and the fact that? It is logical to make a lot of things, you know, digitally operated. It, it just it's this logical way forward. So, how do you put the brakes on what seems to be the obvious thing to do? Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I hope you've got the answer, Johnny. Well, let me let me try and uh, try and flesh <laughs> out an answer here, and, uh, and let, let's see what you think. So, I, I totally agree with you in terms of the um, you know what everything that they're trying to do with. Um, with you know for instance uh, the, the food shortages and everything in the ubi like the, the thing is the ubi is um its strength comes from our kind of dependence on it 
And once people are, are hungry, especially, you know, that, that is really where you kind of corner people because if people are hungry, um, you don't need to even have the government go and go and deliver the food and take on all of these tasks, which I actually don't believe that they will do that. I think that what's going to happen is that once you have these food shortages, you essentially come into some kind of rationing situation, get everyone on board with the idea of rationing, and then the UBI can be used as a kind of way to allow you to get more or less. So it's like, okay, we're rationing food, but if you want a little bit more, you know, you can do this, that, and the other thing, you know, you get your vaccine, you do this, you do that, and then you can get a bit more food. Um, if, sorry, if you don't get the the vaccine, you're going to, you're going to get less uh, UBI and, you know, you're going to, you're going to go hungry. I mean, obviously that's um, probably a pretty dystopian view, but I think that on a long enough time frame, that is the inevitable conclusion of a UBI system. Now, in terms of kind of what is the alternative system, like this is why I'm a huge, huge advocate for, for Bitcoin, because I believe that if we put our economic energy into Bitcoin and we have a parallel economy, which is com- completely uncensorable and we are able to um, kind of retain our ability to to spend and trade and all the rest of it in a digital way. Obviously, some people say, oh, well, you know, we should use gold and we can use silver. But realistically, I just don't think that's ever going to be used as a as a currency again because it's incredibly difficult people people don't have the the tools the will the desire the education to start you know um chipping away at coins to to make certain quantities which have a certain value in trading them i think realistically in the digital world we're going to need a digital solution and that for me is bitcoin so i see bitcoin as being this parallel economy i mean it's not happy to get to go into it but like there are um definitely um conversation where, where i've where i've taught fully um about this but um yeah that would be my my solution um as at least an alternative because you're right i think that we're going to be backed into this um this corner with these ubi systems and we need to have an alternative it's no good just fighting fighting what's coming we actually need to say okay what's our alternative vision what's our alternative kind of kind of tools and i i think bitcoin is it personally Well, I do agree with you in some respects about that. And yeah, we, we won't go into it if you've covered it a lot. And I've got nothing much to offer regarding Bitcoin anyway. But um, we, we can we can riff on it for a bit. Yeah. <laughs> it's an interesting avenue, so why not? Okay, yeah. Well, I, I know you're a big fan. So um, it's <laughs> for me, it's a great idea, but they can still destroy it if they want. And, and that's the issue, I think. Um, Partly maybe because they 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 have the the Bitcoin futures, you know, it's tied to a to a traditional style market, um, which gives them power to 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 pull it down in in value, um, <clears throat> and of course all all the usual market tricks, which you know it is happening now with Bitcoin. Obviously, they they ramp it to a point, and then and then uh, and then they they get short. And of course, pull it down. And now we're getting all the media stories about, oh, Bitcoin's so you know risky, this, that, and the other. And it's the same cycle. So they're doing the same cycle with Bitcoin. Um, I think it's a great idea, but I think regulations as well they could potentially crush it because that's a big problem we've got just overall with all of this. Is if you protest, if you you know try and cause chaos, which is what they want anyway. The ultimate, the ultimate issue we have is legitimacy, legitimacy of holding these people to account. And when the legal system is, um, you know, aligned with with um, with what they're trying to achieve, largely, 
you end up in that impossible position. And I, and I feel that with Bitcoin. Now, <clears throat> I hope that I'm wrong, but I do feel there's a risk that they will be able to to, to, to pull it down. Um, but of course, you know, they're quite happy to say how good it is at the moment because they want us to think that the central bank digital currencies that are coming are the same as Bitcoin. Um, I think Matt, Matt Hancock's been, been talking about this recently. Um, and, you know, they, they want you to think it's a good a good thing um, because obviously a lot of people love Bitcoin. So it's a good thing to to, <clears throat> to brush that excitement over and, and, you know, get people, yeah, well, this is this new currency from the central bank. Um, and that's the big risk of CBDCs. They, they're going to come. Um, I, I don't think we can stop a lot of this. Um, one interesting point from Majid, um, you know, from, from L- XLBC, uh, he, one thing he said is that it's the key thing for us to do, because this is all likely to be pushed forward, is to have a ramp off. And Bitcoin, of course, he was saying was the ramp off, potentially. Um, but I think I think there are other things we need to do as well um, with regards to trying to connect better locally um, with, with, you know, people in a local area, suppliers, so that if if the shit hits the fan, we can work together locally to 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 bypass the the, the you know the, the centralized system, if you like. Yeah, I went on a bit of a tangent there, I suppose. But... No, no, that that that's that, that's absolutely fine. I I totally agree with your with your second point in terms of in terms of kind of Bitcoin's ability to to weather this storm. I think that really they they don't have the the tool the ability um, to bring it down because the only the only way that they can really do it, obviously you're right they can kind of you know mess around with the futures market they can mani- manipulate price to a degree however you can always just decline um to sell like you know and this is kind of the importance of having conviction in this thing is that you know even if they they tank the price there are people and you know in the bitcoin community we call them hodlers of last resort you know people who they are not going to sell at any price you could send it to a penny and you're not going to sell because you kind of you're on the sick on the ship and you know you either sink with the ship um or it goes or it goes to the moon and it wins like those are the two options and i think that once people adopt that mentality those tools those kind of i guess fiat tools of trying to manipulate price etc they can only have so much of an impact because if people just say well i'm not going to sell like i i believe in it i don't care how much the, the price fluctuates because the futures eventually have to be settled and they have to you know they have to be settled by the underlying asset um you know being traded like that's that's how those those futures contracts ultimately realize their their value as a contract is that the real value price of bitcoin um has to kind of trade in a way that is um in a way that makes profit for these contracts um if the bitcoin price doesn't do what they want because they've got all these futures saying it's going to go to zero or whatever and people just don't sell well you've just wrecked all of these people who've got the futures contracts and you know that's kind of like taking out this front line of of people who are who are fighting against it so i think that their tools are their tools are limited and you know moving on kind of to, to your second point as, as well about like you know the, the the courts and stuff this is another reason why i really like bitcoin because you know it's it's kind of like we're running our consensus rules if we really want to get away from these institutions and you know we, we're saying okay let's uh you know the courts are corrupt and you know the, the establishment is corrupt 
but we can actually like run a set of rules like the consensus rules of the bitcoin network and we can say at the very least obviously it has limited scope but at the very least we're protecting our property rights you know it's just kind of the the encryption of our of our property in a way which cannot be taken from us you know it's like nobody can kind of they can make a law tomorrow and say hey uh sorry you can't collect water anymore oh sorry you can't um grow your own grow your own food or whatever it is um they could make that law tomorrow and enforce it um and we wouldn't be able to do that much about it but if they make a law tomorrow and say um we're taking all your bitcoin you you either hand it over voluntarily or or they're gonna have to find a way to essentially break sha 256 encryption which is not going to happen you know it's, it's mathematically um it's mathematically backed up essentially so this is why i think that you know it shouldn't be overlooked as a tool but you're right it shouldn't be shouldn't be used as the only tool i definitely agree that like you know becoming uh, more local and doing things on a more localized level whether that's growing food and trading it with people whether it's getting involved with your your local you know farmer or whatever and you know securing um resources that way um yeah, helping each other out is ultimately the key, and I think I think that one isn't necessarily at the uh, cost or expense of the other. Like both things can happen simultaneously. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, it, I mean, Bitcoin would be perfect. It, it, it is a perfect solution, although there are issues, I believe, over using it. You know, um, on a daily basis um, at scale. Um, but it's, but I mean, I mean, there are other cryptocurrencies that are potentially, you know, better, better and more efficient uh, since. Yeah. Then. Well, there's there's something called the yeah. Lightning Network, yeah. which is worth looking into, and it's uh, it's essentially a way of kind of um, trading. It's a way of trading Bitcoin, which is kind of off. It's called off chain, so you're not using the the main uh, the main Bitcoin chain and kind of congesting the network and having high fees. So you can kind of do that at very very low cost, like uh, fractions of a cent to do transactions. And then eventually it will settle to the main chain, but it's actually cryptographically assured. It's not. It's not like with gold and cash, where you you hand around the cash, but someone's keeping the gold and saying, "Okay, well, you know, we may or may not redeem it for cash." With a, with Lightning Network, you're actually trading yeah. um, essentially kind of pre-signed transactions, which are cryptographically assured. So, you know, it's um, incredibly cheap, but if you know, it, it eventually settles uh, to the main chain in a different way. So it's kind of a layered system. It's it's worth looking into that because. Um, you know, a lot of people don't know this system exists and it is a, a very good solution. So all these things are being thought out in, in the Bitcoin community. I mean, obviously I'm a bit of an evangelist, but, uh, <laughs> you know, there are a lot of um, a lot of great technical solutions coming out. Oh, great. So, so what do they do? They effectively say, OK, we're taking this, this you know, thousand Bitcoins out. And then they they then are almost like a broker, if you like, to, to, to make smaller, smaller payments separately from the system. Well, is, it, is that, uses, that it, it uses... Like a subsystem. It's something called payment channels. So it's, I guess, um, a way to, to think about it. Have you ever used an app called Splitwise by any chance? No. No, no. So it's basically an app whereby you kind of log, um, you know, maybe you're going on holiday or whatever, and you kind of, rather than every single time someone pays for something, you say, okay, well, let's all get our money out and, you know, agree how much everyone owes. You kind of put um, it down in the app and the app will kind of, log how much everyone owes and it will kind of constantly rebalance so you know you might go out and buy a meal and then someone else goes and buys drinks and it will kind of rebalance what everyone owes proportionately and then you only settle periodically so maybe after the week holiday or whatever you say okay now we'll settle and what it actually even does is simplifies all of that so that it'll only be one rather than everyone sending everyone money it will say okay well actually in the end it's only you know steve owes joe money because everything is kind of included it kind of simplifies all of it 
the Lightning Network kind of works in a yeah. similar way. So essentially it takes um, a main, what you have is like, I have, let's say a Bitcoin and you have a Bitcoin. And rather than every time I want to send you 0.1 Bitcoin, rather than settling it to the main network, what we do is, you know, we agree between us that I've given you 0.1 and then maybe you want to give me some Bitcoin later down the line and you give me 0.5 and then it kind of re rebalances. And eventually what you do is you say, okay, how much is each of our final balance? And you then settle that to the main network. But it doesn't necessarily only have to oh, be yeah. two people. So you can actually have any number of additional people within this. So you might have, um, you can have two people, you might have five, you might um, be able to kind of link it up with your local bar. So maybe they've got a, a lightning channel that you can tap into and everyone is kind of sharing from this kind of liquidity pool and only periodically do you actually settle to the main chain. So it takes a lot of that, those high fee transactions off the main chain. Um, so this is actually something that solves already for a lot of the problems that um, that the kind of altcoins are trying to solve is that, you know, it kind of has already been solved on the Bitcoin network. But um, yeah, it's, it's definitely worth, worth looking to. It's really, really cool technology. Really fun to play with. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, sounds, sounds interesting. Anyway, so we kind of went down a bit of a rabbit hole, hole there. But um, just zooming back out a little bit, what's uh, what's actually going on, Stuart? Like, give us the uh, give us the the picture as you as you see it, because you know I know that everyone, a lot of people, have different ideas of where they think this is going and, and what's happening in the world. And I'm interested to know to know your thoughts and kind of where you are down this rabbit hole. Okay, it's it's always a, a big question. Um, uh, I'll probably meander somewhat trying to answer it, but for me, um, it seems to be all about uh, the financial system, um, and certainly that's why I think it's happening now. Uh, all the countries in the world, it's certainly in the Western world, are are heavily in debt, some over one hundred percent of the GDP. So there's just no room left to keep running this system. Um, because inflation is now happening uh, and normally interest rates would go up as a way. I mean, I'm simplifying it, but interest rates would go up to, to reduce people being so flamboyant and, and, you know, and spending money and because they can't borrow cheaper money. And we're in a position now where the interest rates can't go up in response. Otherwise, there'll just be this collapse with people not being able to pay their, their loans. Um, so... So, so I think the timing is key on this. I, th I think there's always been this agenda that, at this time, at this point of time, because capitalism is is also um, struggling due to the fact that AI and robotics are, are threatening such a large, you know, amount of people in work. So we've got unemployment potentially a factor. Capitalism won't allow for people to be chosen over efficiency. That's just not how it works. It's, it's a natural force. It does its own thing to, to either increase profits or, or look for efficiency, well, to, to increase profits both ways. Um, so it's growth or, or efficiency. And you can't do that when you're, trying, when you're still trying to keep people doing jobs that a robot could do or, or AI can do. So this will lead to mass unemployment. And I think we're at a stage where and they've planned this for a long time. They've known this day is coming and they've made so much money. And I say they, I'm talking about the elites, the, the you know, the, the, the big, the billionaires, most many of which we don't know, know about. So, so we're at a breaking point with the fiat system. This is why I think COVID happened. This is why I think we're now well onto this net zero um, plan. 
I'm not against doing things for the environment. Absolutely not. And I'm not a denier that, you know, um, we are, we are, we are effectively poisoning our planet, um, and destroying it, the ecology. Climate change, I, I try and avoid the climate change thing because I honestly haven't looked into it enough to know our, our extent of, of, of changing it. But for me, that isn't the point. You, you look at what's happening in the seas, we've, we've stripped them, and, um, and we, we're, we're aware that we're poisoning even ourselves with you know, minute particles of plastic that get in the, get in the water system, and, um, and they say they found them in, in human body now. So, so we can't go on like this, and the amount we use, we will get through resources, the waste is absurd. So we need a great reset. We need a, a transformation of the way we live. Um, but you you look at organisations that I believe are, and most most of us I think you know on this side of the story believe that it's the World Economic Forum that's sort of the hub of this, bringing all the big corporates together and, and the world leaders. Um, they've been around since what nineteen seventy something. The, the the quest being to make the world a better place, effectively, you know, to look for for solutions. Well, only now just happens the financial system's collapsing and we're at this great, as they call it, uh, as Klaus Schwab from, from the West calls it, the fourth industrial revolution, i.e. the one of AI, robotics, and moving potentially, well, definitely moving into into a transhumanism phase, you know, the early stages of that. The, it's quite clear that those factors are why they're now switching on to to uh, needing to do something about the environment. And don't forget, these people are the people that have been effectively pushing us towards the cliff edge of, you know, over-consumerism for so long, for, for decades. So I think that they had the idea that they want, they want to um, protect their assets. Um, so I should start again almost. Well, let me let me let me help help fill in in the gap there because um, you you um, touched on a point which I think is is really important which ties it together. By the way, this is really really difficult to to get to the bottom of, and I, I've had now two uh, conversations with a guy called Dan Tubb. Do, do, do you know him? He's called King Bingo on Twitter, but he's uh, I, don't, I don't know if you know him, but he, no, I don't know. Him. He's uh, I've had two conversations with him where I've been trying to drill down on this point, and we still haven't got to the bottom of it yet. It really is, uh, you know, the, the rabbit hole kind of keeps expanding out in front of you. But I think you touched on something really important there, which is that essentially with the the, the situation of interest rates being at zero, obviously now they've ratcheted up very very slightly. But um, if those interest rates go up, um, you're right. You have a problem of you're going to crash. Um, market you know it, we're already seeing that it crashes the stock market it will also crash the property market as well because you know everything at the moment is reliant upon this cheap debt so there's kind of two options one is that you put everyone in an insurmountable amount of debt whereby you know their property you know, they're sitting on negative equity and all this kind of stuff and everyone you know you have a huge homelessness problem people can't afford to eat etc and you have a massive societal collapse that way the second option is that you don't, you keep um, money, you know, you keep interest rates at zero, or you just continuously print money anyway, so that you ensure that, you know, the, the supply of money is uh, outpacing the supply of goods and services, in which case people kind of feel rich, they still got to keep working their ass off, etc. But, you know, at least they've got money in their pocket, at least they're not out on the street, they just 
you know, have to work until they die, basically. But I think that what they're trying to do now is invent this third option, which is the kind of redefinition of property rights altogether, whereby you say, okay, well, actually, what we'll have is we'll transfer you all onto this new system. uh, But actually, you don't own anything. So, you know, you won't own anything, you're not going to own your house, you're not going to own any of your appliances, you're not going to own your car, whatever it is. Um, everything is going to be kind of rented. You're going to be, um, you know, essentially a kind of surf class. Everything will be will be rented. Um, but that's a way to kind of keep the system from collapsing. So people can still have their stuff, but the debt can still be kind of um, somewhat paid off, essentially in the form of perpetual renting of property. So it's kind of like a, a redefinition of property rights. It's like a third way, kind of like a, you know, almost like, literally an an e-communism, like a a communism um, combined with, you know, high-tech solutions. And I put that in kind of inverted inverted commas there to ensure that kind of people can still have their stuff. They can still feed themselves, et cetera, but everything's rented, you know, and even the money in there, but their bank account isn't really theirs because it's, you know, subject to all of these stipulations to try to steer everything where it needs to go and to try to, um, yeah, like, Every, everyone will ultimately be a slave, but at least the, the rich stay rich. And at least you don't have a massive societal collapse where, you know, billionaires are having their, their heads chopped off on the street. Yeah, that, that's, that's how I, that, that's, that defines it very well. Um, I've got the same opinion with, with where it's going. Uh, the, the question is how much force are they going to use? Um, I, I, Personally, I'm sceptical. I, I do think we're going to see interest rates going up. I do think there's going to be um, a house price crash at some point um, in, as a way to to make that happen, to, to make people hand over their property, say, well, I can't afford the, the mortgage anymore, and the banks obviously will go, well, you're in negative equity now, um, so we'll take the bank, we'll, we'll take the house off you and... and um, We'll let you live in it, and you can rent it from us. So I do see that that being force forcibly done. Um, I mean, let's face it; people aren't going to accept it any other way, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. are they? They're not just going to hand their house over. So, yeah. So, so it's going to be a messy time. I mean, with regards to inflation, do you do you believe? Um, it, I mean, it's, it seems to be a very carefully managed uh, thing. Inflation, doesn't it? We're being told it's it's due to energy prices due to to the ukraine conflict but i think it's pretty obvious it was it was covid that's caused the inflation um with all the with all the money printing totally yeah yeah i think i think that's it and um you know the the interesting thing about inflation is it can be defined in multiple ways um you know some people will say that and this is incorrect most of the people who say this are actually kind of like more on the keynesian economic side they'll say oh well in, inflation is the cost of um, goods and services going up, um, which isn't actually what it is. Um, you know, in, inflation really is just an increase in the money supply without a proportionate increase in the goods and services in society. Now, the, the reason that normally causes prices to go up, but not necessarily. So, for instance, most things um, are going up in price in the world, but you could say, oh, well, things like a television has come down massively in price. Um, and the reason for that is that without that increase in the money supply, it would have come down even more. So things can still come down in price because of various reasons, you know, whether that's technological, whether it's, you know, cultural, whatever, whatever reason, things can come, come down in price. Um, that, that doesn't mean that inflation isn't still having an impact. So just because my TV might cost me 50% less now than it did 10 years ago, 
that doesn't mean that inflation isn't happening. What what it means is that there's been lots of innovation in the technology space, which means that they're able to make TVs cheaper, et cetera. Uh, you know, higher demand might play a part, et cetera. But there's still inflation because without the money printing, that might have come down 75%, right? So yeah, I think that ult- ultimately yeah. it has to be down to the money. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And and that that's the crux of it, that we are being literally set up with, with uh, this trap um, and an economic collapse. And of course... <sighs> And of course, the, the, the narrative is there to justify why it's happening. But, it, but, it, but as far as I'm concerned, it was all, always planned. It seems like it was planned um, to, 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 to do this in a way that, that people will, will walk into their own trap and, and will cheer on those, those. I mean, I don't know what your views are on Ukraine and perhaps we shouldn't even go into that. But, um, you know, I'm, I'm very clear on, on COVID being an, an intentional I'm, as far as I'm concerned, it was intentional. It, it was it was um, it was planned, and it's and it, it was to do what exactly it did, which was was mask the financial system, uh, you know, make it worse. And I also think it was probably a big money steal. You know, how how do you get everybody involved that, that, need, that needs a sweetener? It was another it was another way to, to to make money to crash and to crash businesses at the same time, small businesses. Uh, to get people conditioned to their government and, um, you know, giving them more sort of daily orders, if you like, um, to split people and divide people with uh, fear. It's just it's just no way this at this time. It, it, it just fits perfectly with, with you know, what we think. And, and Ukraine, again, the reason for the for the the push on media is is that people are happily cheering on the the money that's going across you know allegedly to to defend the western world um against putin but um it's yeah, it's yeah. again it, it's and it, of course that in itself is is crashing crashing uh you know the economy for us uh with with the with the um you know, it's, it's us who's who's put the put the what's the word I'm looking for? Um, it's it's us that's, that said no, we're not using Russian energy, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So we've done it to ourselves, effectively. Right, right. right. Um, and and it, and it justified the energy rise, energy price rises, and you know. True, true. Yeah, it's at the moment with everything that's going on. I'm almost just like, if you if you just wanted, if you just wanted to to bankrupt country uh, you know bankrupt everyone as quickly as possible you'd basically do everything the government's done in the past um, couple of years and um, it yeah. just seems like there's absolutely no breaks on this thing when it comes to um yeah p- people kind of being thrust into into poverty and it's and, and at the moment it's not really realized pro- poverty because everything's kind of like masked under this debt but at the moment it's almost like you know and pe- perhaps this is because they know that the fiat system is going to collapse so they're like well we might as well just run up as much debt as possible now because this 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 whole system is going to come to a, to a collapse anyway so th- what's the point in caring about debt i mean you you don't really even hear it used to be that you know labor would talk about bringing down the debt a little bit and conservatives would talk about bringing down the debt a bit more and and now it's just not even on the agenda i mean no one ever talks about about debt really in any in any country i mean you know it's it's the same in america i think i don't really see that the Republicans and Democrats talk that much about it. Everyone's talking about, you know, totally unrelated um, issues. But yeah, it's, it's like if you just want everyone to be 
um, completely bankrupt. Would you do that much different to what governments have done over the past couple of years? I mean, you know, shut or even just widen the wealth gap, you know, shut everyone, shut all the small businesses, but let all of the big corporations continue as normal, you know, shut all of the businesses which are face to face, uh, but keep ones that can use, can use Zoom and are using all this technology, keep them going, you know, move every, get everyone buying off Amazon, you know, whatever it is, wherever you look, um, it, everything seems to be done in the service of keeping people in more and more debt. And I think this is, you know, coming back to what we were saying about the kind of agenda, like and especially with property to do with property rights it's like it's like they're they're preparing us to accept we're going to own nothing we're going to be completely poor they're kind of preparing us for that eventuality like drip you know drip by drip they're saying okay you know you're not going to have you're not going to own anything you're going to be happy don't worry you're going to rent this you're going to be eating bugs it's like it's like let's just get everyone on board with it and then in the background we can we can create the conditions to bring that about um because yeah i think ultimately if it happens slowly, people might adapt to it. People might actually adapt. And, you know, I think we should be adapting anyway um, and becoming more self-sovereign and trying to, to break away from these entrenched systems and these centralized systems, et cetera. Um, but I think their view is like, this happens, this has to happen fast so that we can actually catch everyone in the trap. You don't want the, the trap door to be falling too slowly that people find a way to actually navigate around it because they have this vision and, you know, they seem pretty hell-bent on achieving it. Yeah, I mean, it, it's quite clear to me that since 2020, that the switch has been, you know, flicked, and um, this is this is the this is almost the last leg. I, I think I think it's probably been you know we, we've been nudged nudged along for some time um, over the last at least couple of decades, maybe longer, um, but but you can feel the intensity. Of, of what's going on. It's just one thing after another. I mean, the amount of, of potential pandemics, talk of monkeypox, Marburg, all these other ones, you know, the moment there's anything at all, it, it's being used in the media. Um, and so, yeah, they're, they're, this, I, I see this, I think they're on the on the home straight almost. I mean, I, I think it's going to be very quick. I don't, don't think we're going to get any break from this. And that's the point. You, they don't allow people to to stop and think. Um, mm -hmm. which I find strange now, actually, particularly in the UK. Um, I still speak to a few people who still do not believe that there's anything organised going on. Um, admittedly, they're rarer now than they were, but I don't know. I don't know how people can still think that way when there's there's, there's so much, at least coincidental, um, you know, going on now. It's just one thing after another. Is it just me, perhaps, because I've been watching it more intensely? I mean, you know, perhaps yourself have been watching all of this happen so quickly, and we've been watching it very, very closely that um, that we feel it feel it more intense than, than perhaps somebody who's so, so busy um, so busy doing an eighty-hour, you know, working week somewhere that they haven't got time to think about it. Yeah, possibly. I guess this comes down to that question of you know what what is that defining factor that causes people to become awake because this is something i've been trying to trying to answer for a while and you know really i think it comes down to two things that i think which is one is that you don't watch mainstream media you actually kind of come to your conclusions based upon your own actual experience of the world so you know for instance with the covid stuff the people who were glued to the tv watching bbc news all the time they believed we were in the middle of a, you know, the greatest pandemic for, you know, a century or whatever. And uh, I wasn't watching that. I was just kind of, you know, 
I mean, obviously I was, on, I was on Twitter and things like that, but in my actual real life, in my day-to-day life, I wasn't, I didn't know anyone who had, I didn't know anyone who had COVID probably for about six months and, you know, until uh, the first person had it. Um, you know, I didn't know anyone who had who'd been hospitalized or, or died or anything like that. So I think one is how much you take mainstream media to be your reality versus your actual like day-to-day experience. And I think the other is just being a contrarian, you know, um, I've always been a contrarian in my life and I find that a lot of people in this community are actually that's an interesting thing um that i'd like to know about you is like were, were you a, were you a contrarian because this is something else that seems to be a, a commonality is that you don't necessarily just go along to kind of be in the majority or, or whatever like you tend to you quite often you have an opinion which is different from the majority on on subjects so is that the case for you as well yeah i definitely definitely um when I when I was a kid, everybody else supported Man United and Liverpool, so I went Everton. Uh, there you go. <laughs> just be awkward, um, but but you know I've I've well I've always questioned things. I, I've always had uh, you know a, a, an inquisitive mind, I, I believe. So um, so yeah, so some people will just take everything on on face value, but yeah, I'm I'm, I'm very I'm very skeptical on on a lot of issues. So, so you mentioned uh, before about other musicians and things and that you know many of them were kind of believed the same things that we believed and were were kind of very skeptical as well but weren't speaking out um can you just give us a bit of a kind of breakdown as to as to how you see things in the music industry because i think that this is an industry which has obviously been massively impacted you know they're musicians who you know for some of them, the peak of your career might only last two years, and many of them have lost that opportunity to experience it because uh, of lockdowns and things like that. So, um, yeah, what, what's the kind of general sentiment in the music industry? How's it been affected, and also what 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 are people's responses within that community? Well, the music industry is a very is is it's a very wide range of circumstances and. Um, it's very much pyramid system a scheme like you know everywhere sorry a pyramid you know sort of set up like everywhere else um the bigger artists earn a lot more than than the, the, the smaller artists and so there's already a lot of people that would have found 14 months impossible to to survive without without those uh, those events so it's it's been absolutely devastating to many um the other the other issue though is is that a lot of people I've spoken to didn't want to get vaccinated but have taken the choice to get vaccinated um, to to because because the problem is as well that it's an international job so and, and America being being a key key market you need to, to be vaccinated to go to America Canada uh, Australia New Zealand uh, well not so much New Zealand as, as a major market but you know these are the places. That, that people play a lot so um it's meant that people have had to make difficult choices and also those those you know earlier on in their career or their career is is just taking off you know the last thing they want to do is just is just you know put a pause on it now as you say so so they've been forced to do it there's been pressure i know from managers just yeah, i'll just get it it'll be fine you know um and and so we've got this horrible situation where I know so many people who have done it against their will, um, and in fact, I know I know a couple that have had vaccine injuries, uh, 
you know, as a, as a direct result. I mean, they, they have mentioned it publicly. Um, but I mean, when one, one of, one of the, one of the DJs who mentioned it publicly 12 months ago or so, it was literally his posts were taken down from Instagram for saying he was injured. Uh, but you know, that, that DJ, I think he's gone and had his second one to be able to go and meet the, meet the requirements to go to America. So, you know, imagine that being injured on the first one and then still having to go for the second one too, because you, because if you, you need it for your, for your career. Yeah. I mean, I think that's actually, that's actually happening quite a lot. I'm, I'm hearing quite a few stories of that kind. So yeah, it's, it's incredibly sad, but so I, I mean, this, the answer, this is probably fairly obvious, but I'm assuming there, I'm assuming that the reason that, um, most musicians aren't speaking out is simply because it's going to damage their career. Right. Yeah. Um, like I say, it's, it's always been the unwritten rule that you don't get involved in politics online. You know, I mean, for, for me, I was reluctant to saying something for quite a while. Um, I think I started speaking out on Twitter in, I think it was, um, it was either December or January. Uh, so it's January, 2021. I, I was concerned because people come to music to get away from everything. So the last thing you want to do is like give them the most depressing feed possible. And uh, that's one reason as well, which I only do it on Twitter. I, I occasionally mention something on Facebook, but um, I've just used Twitter to, to speak out on. So if people really don't want to hear it or aware about it and just don't want to, you know, have it drummed in every day, just follow me on Facebook. Um, but yeah, I've, I've had messages of support of, of many DJs just saying, I, I, you know, I said something once, but but uh, I got real backlash. Um, so so you know, I'm, I'm just just going to see how it goes. I've had others say, oh, I'll step in when it, when I'm needed to, you know, when things get bad. And I'm, yeah, I, <laughs> I've, I've heard that from quite a few people, and I think, well, it will be too late. You you can guarantee yeah. now, by the time you feel comfortable to step in, where where you're that desperate that you feel, yeah, we have to do something. It's going to be too late. It's because the legislation is going to change. The laws are going to change. We're, we're seeing this a lot in the UK um, with, you know, the, the, the policing bill, the online safety and, and the overhaul of the Human Rights Act. These are all big threats to us being able to take action. I, I think the UK has actually been quite a strong place to put up a defence against a lot of this because of our in-depth legal, legal system. Um, and whereas other countries like Italy, et cetera, you know, had such intense mandates and, and, and you know, people can't work unless they're vaccinated, illegal to work if, you can't, if you're not vaccinated, others putting ridiculous fines in for not being vaccinated. We've managed to avoid that partly because of the legal stuff, but, but also as well because I think we've, we've probably, especially England, been, been very, very vocal against this. Yeah, I totally agree. And like you said, that is the time to actually fight as well because the laws can change very, very quickly. And if they suddenly decide, okay, yeah. we're going to bring in new legislation, it means you have to have a vaccine to work, et cetera. Well, you know, then it's going to, then the clock is really ticking because then you can't work. And now you're having to put all of your advocacy or your, your activism into a time frame what during which you're not able to earn a living or whatever. So the time to actually fight is long before it happens because then you've got a much longer kind of runway to actually exactly. you know, try to, to change the traje trajectory of the, the way that the, the world is going. So, 
Yeah, I totally agree. So yeah, massive props to you for for kind of standing up and actually being counted because yeah, there's so few people out there. There's so few few kind of celebrities and um people in general, but you know, especially in the music industry, I think has been on the whole quite disappointing. Um, but you've definitely kind of booked that trend and um yeah, you know, like massive props for that. Thank you. Thank you. Well, people like Russell Brand have been amazing recently, particularly in the recent year or so. You know, he's he's so on point. And uh, but there's very few, very few, you know, people any any more famous than that or even around that, that fame level who will who will speak out. It's and you can you can understand to a degree why as well. You know, you're 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 a, you're a business asset. You've got management, you've got teams of people. You know, there's a liability there, even possibly for for you. You know, doing something that will damage your career um, and and cause a problem. So, so everything is against people speaking out. As you know, um, on top of the, the the natural psychological want to, to to not cause a problem. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. All right. So, um, just before we we wrap up, I know that you've got a, a song which um you, you made which I, I assume was kind of um off the back of like the, the freedom protests and stuff called together do you mind just kind of giving us a bit of a backstory about that one yeah i i was in the mood for doing something that sounded um a bit like my early early uh my sorry the late 90s stuff so i thought i'd make a track try and keep it sort of optimistic sounding and um you know full of hope that was the vibe i was going for and um, and it was around the time of of the of the, the Canadian trucker protest, and uh, I really felt I wanted to do something to mark that, if you like. And um, so it samples uh, Chris Sky, who I'm sure you're aware of, uh, yeah. who who has been an absolute star from the beginning of all this, trying to to raise awareness. Um, and so I sampled a clip from from one of his um, one of his uh, rallies and uh yeah so i mean i i, I don't know about you but i watch the the, the trucker uh, action very closely but certainly for a week i was i was actually watching online as well uh, on youtube the live streaming from from the front line if you like and there's it's quite incredible and and i think if anything this shone such a, a bright light on the absolute lies of the media and indeed people like trudeau are willing to to, to accuse these people of being aggressive racists and all this kind of thing which was absolute nonsense you could see it with your own eyes that that it was incredibly peaceful i was was amazed how peaceful it was you know there's normally somebody causing a problem but it was so peaceful and uh, and a real great movement and um you know gives us all hope and i think we're seeing a resurgence if you like of that of that or continuation of that with the farmers now across across um you know holland and and uh, germany and other places the only issue we have with with this kind of movement though is that if the plan is chaos and they're causing chaos it's it's kind of a difficult thing to, to stand up against isn't it really yeah yeah and this is why i think it, it ultimately comes back to building a system which is alternative to, to their vision, you know, like I, I think that all of these things are important and, you know, I, I agree with you on the, on the Canadian truckers protest. I thought it was, it was absolutely brilliant. And yeah, there was just something so emotional about it. You know, it was like you tear up watching just how amazing it is. People flying flags on bridges and stuff. There were some really great videos made of, of that whole, um, that whole movement. And, um, 
so yeah and like you said in the end it it was unfortunate how it how it ended because uh it, it was it was quashed essentially you know it was quashed under trudeau's jackboot um you know but uh it did seem to kind of ignite something across the world you know like you said we've now got the, the kind of farmers protest going on and you know i'm not sure whether that necessarily would have happened if we hadn't had the canadian protest it seems like that they, they gave the world a bit of an idea in that respect so um yeah absolutely that's a very key point about this is it, it's confidence you know you stand up you you help others have the confidence to do the same and um and and that's what this this whole movement is is, is about is it's just like making people realize you can stand up and you know you, you're not alone that that's the key thing you're, you're not alone if we stick together we can we can uh, really really push back on this at least move it a bit more in our benefit you know if it's happening it's happening but let's try and control how this how this works out totally agree let's uh, let's end on that note do you want to just let everyone know where they can find you before we before we wrap this up yeah sure um you can get me on my website djlange.com and uh, i'm on twitter uh, as uh, dj lange as well and facebook my page is lange fan and yeah see you around thanks so much <laughs>